0: I'm Michael Ashcroft, the founder of Lord Ashcroft Polls, and this is the Ashcroft in America podcast. It's one year since Donald Trump was elected president of the United States. Twelve months ago, we were here to find out what was on the voters' minds as they made their decision. Now we've come back to find out how they think the president is doing, whether he's been as good as they hoped, or as bad as they feared. And to do that, we've come to two states. Wisconsin, which backed Donald Trump last year after more than three decades of supporting Democrats in presidential elections, and then west to Las Vegas, Nevada, for a different slice of life altogether. Plenty will be written by the commentators and experts about Donald Trump's first year. As ever, we're here to find out what the voters have to say.
1: Hello, I'm Kevin Colwick, the director of Lord Ashcroft Polls, here in Las Vegas for this election anniversary edition of the Ashcroft in America podcast. Joining me as ever is Elise Jordan, MSNBC political analyst and columnist for Time magazine.
2: We started our Ashcroft in America tour last year in Wisconsin, so we came to Green Bay and Milwaukee and then to Las Vegas for an update on how voters feel about the first year since Donald Trump was elected. We'll hear their thoughts soon, as well as those of conservative commentator Charlie Sykes and Nevada political journalist John Ralston. First let's start with a recap of what's happened so far.
1: The President's biggest policy achievements have been from his perch in the Oval Office via executive orders on issues like financial reform and immigration. He withdrew the US from the Trans-Pacific Partnership trade deal and the Paris Climate Agreement. By far his most widely hailed success is that his Supreme Court nominee Judge Neil Gorsuch was confirmed by the Senate.
2: Judge Gorsuch is a bright spot because the president hasn't had much luck with Congress even though Republicans control the House and the Senate. Every version of a bill to repeal and replace Obamacare collapsed. Now the president is trying to galvanize support to reform the tax code, the only legislation that Trump and the Republican leadership can hope to pass before the year's end.
1: And that's just the drama surrounding policy. Our week here opened with a blockbuster news day on one of the president's least favourite topics, the investigation into Trump campaign ties to Russia. Special counsel Robert Mueller indicted former Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort and his deputy Rick Gates. On Twitter, the president continued his attacks on the fake news media as he denied any campaign collusion and pointed instead to Hillary Clinton's ties to a uranium deal with Russia.
2: Charlie Sykes is a longtime conservative Wisconsin radio host whose new book, How the Right Lost Its Mind, grapples with the media and cultural forces that helped propel Donald Trump to the White House. A year after our first interview, I caught up with him in Milwaukee and began by asking if anything had surprised him about the Trump presidency so far.
3: Well, you know, anyone who was paying any attention to Donald Trump in 2015 and 2016 shouldn't be surprised by anything that he's done as president. On the other hand, it's still somewhat shocking to see someone sitting in the Oval Office behaving that way. Even if you know that it's Donald Trump, you have in the back of your mind the sense that, okay, a President Donald Trump won't be as bad as candidate Donald Trump, but in uh, so many ways he has been.
2: When we spoke to you a year ago, you talked about alternative reality silos in the media and in the dark fever swamps on the right and how people just choose their news based on political outlook. And these outlandish conspiracy theories that really we're thriving over the last year and still into the presidency. Do you see any, any lessening, though, now that Donald Trump is actually in office?
3: No, in fact, I think that it's uh, it's getting worse because a lot of the worst actors, I think, have been empowered and emboldened by the victory. You know, if Donald Trump would have lost, I think there might have been a reckoning, and people would have asked some tough questions about that alternative reality silo and how it had misled so many people. But now that uh, you know, now that you have a Trump presidency, what you have is you have a conservative media that is absolutely more committed than ever now to defending the regime and defending the president. And I think that you're seeing a, more, a proliferation of some of those uh, some of those sites.
2: A huge part of Donald Trump's appeal was that he was an outsider and not part of the political establishment. Do you think people still see him as an outsider, or has he become part of the establishment? by virtue of being president.
3: Well, his supporters still see him as an outsider. His supporters still see him as somebody who's going to drain the swamp. And I think they've been very, very effective, the conservative media, in creating a sense of, of persecution, that they're coming after your guy, that the left uh, not only hates conservatives, you know, hates American values, but they're going after your symbol, the person you put there, to, to drain the, the swamp. So I still think that they cling to that, which, of course, is ironic, considering you know, he surrounded himself with so many insiders, um, you know, so many uh, you know, you know, folks who are so well-connected in, in Wall Street and in Washington.
2: In your new book, How the Right
3: Lost Its Mind, you write
2: about how a movement based on ideas devolved into a new tribalism that valued neither principle nor truth. And in our Ashcroft in America focus group, strong Trump supporters very often do not trust factual information as reported by the mainstream media. How did we get to this post-fact landscape?
3: Well, you know, I really spent the last year and a half trying to figure that out. You know, Stepping back as somebody who, I, I thought I understood the conservative movement. I thought I understood what conservatism was and what conservatives believed. And so watching that devolution Watching going from Bill Buckley to Sean Hannity, from you know Edmund Burke to uh, uh, to uh, Coulter was 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 kind of a shock, and I think it happened it happened gradually. And, and I think part of the the sort of the thirty five thousand foot um, take on that is that a lot of us having conversations like this have been under the impression that politics is about ideas, that it's about programs and accomplishments, when in fact politics has been increasingly about attitude and about belonging. And so this, this sense of tribalism is not overstating. It is us versus them. And you'll see this in the willingness of folks not only to reject factual information but to switch their positions based on what the leader believes. If Donald Trump believes A, the tribe will support him. If he insists on not A, they will support him as well. This is something that's perhaps not completely new in American politics, but it's certainly striking. And we are going to see the the consequence of this post-factual, post-truth politics played out now, watching how the right and the right media react to the ongoing Russia investigation. I think that that's going to be a very—it's going to be a clarifying moment for uh, for conservatives.
2: President Trump is in the White House, and Republicans control the House and the Senate, yet they haven't had a piece of major legislation pass. Why do you think that is?
3: Well, because I think the conservatives— uh, had spent the last decade stoking up the perpetual outrage machine where they became very, very clear in what they were against and who they hated, but they were much less clear what they were for. And I think that this lack of a coherent governing philosophy reflects that. That even though they had seven years to deal with health care, they really didn't have a workable plan. And I, I think this is part of the malaise. Also, the fact that you have, yes, you have a Republican in the White House, but he's a Republican who is not really a conservative, who has very, I, w- I would say, a man with, without many deep principles and with uh, uh, almost boundless lack of interest and knowledge in actual policy. So all of those things play together.
2: Do you think it's a danger to him that he might have few successes to point to from his, pres- from his presidency?
3: Well, you would think so. Uh, and and i 'll make the argument that, yes, it is a danger first, that the, number one, his entire appeal is that he gets things done. he 's a deal maker. As it turns out, he 's a terrible negotiator he 's not a very good deal maker. he doesn 't understand how legislative process works. Um, also, um, he, he needs to be a winner. He needs to be perceived as a winner. If he doesn 't accomplish anything, if he 's a failure, uh, obviously that cuts against his image. On the other hand, He's also created this alternative reality support network that believes that Donald Trump can never fail. He can only be betrayed. And it's interesting how Donald Trump never says the buck stops with him. If he fails to get legislation, it's always somebody else's fault. And his base doesn't seem to demand that he lead or that he accomplished something. They're more than willing to blame Paul Ryan or Mitch McConnell for all of those failings or the liberal media or the left. And that'll work to his favor as well. And again, if, if, if we are in this new tribal era, then accomplishments and issues become less important than, than tribal identity. There's a reason why, um, when he ought to be focusing on tax cuts, he's instead focusing on stoking the culture wars involving the ple- you know, the, the national anthem and and the NFL. I mean, that's the red meat, and he knows how to play that card, that kind of deflection.
2: Well, we happen to be here in Wisconsin the week of the first indictments in Bob Mueller's Russia investigation. Where do you see the investigation ending up?
3: Well, it's not going to end up in a good place uh, for the Trump administration or or, or for Trump rule. Look, I've always said from the beginning that I don't know where this is leading, but this is a big deal this should not have broken down along partisan lines. If the Russians really did try to hack our election, if they really did try to disrupt our democracy, then I think that conservatives and liberals ought to uh, have the same attitude toward all of this. Now, you know, what what Trump has decided to do is to do two things, to pretend that it's a complete hoax, there's nothing there, and more recently tried to deflect and say, you know, go back to his golden oldies that it's uh, the real scandal is Hillary Clinton. But there's something there there's something disturbing. I don't know whether they're going to be able to find collusion, but I think this miasma of corruption and deceit is going to is going to take a toll uh, in particular because I, and I would think that there got to be a lot of elected Republicans right now wondering how deep do they want to get in terms of investing in Trump? Do they understand what's coming next? The first indictments made it clear that Mueller, is running a very serious investigation. He's going very deep. He's going to be very, very aggressive. And so I do think that the Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell's of the world are going to have to ask, how deeply invested do they want to be in defending and rationalizing and covering up for Donald Trump?
2: Final question, and this might seem somewhat trivial, but it's a personal concern to me, yeah. especially your Wisconsin knights, nice, yeah. as the phrase goes from the Badger State. When does civility return to politics, if it ever does? Or do you think that we have witnessed the end of civility in politics?
3: I, see, I don't think that's trivial. In, in, in fact, I think the, I increasingly think that the great legacy of the, uh, of, the, of the Trump era is not going to be in terms of policy. It's going to be the damage it does to the culture. It's take the focus off of Donald Trump and that particular circus act and turn it around. What is he doing to the country? The coarsening of the culture the way we talk to one another, what we're willing to accept, our moral standards, our ethical standards, the way we talk with one another. Um, anyone who spends any time on social media can see how his followers model their behavior on his. You know, the sneering, bullying, you know, strutting around, the you know, waving around of you know, one's manhood and uh, the uh, politics of insult. Even after Donald Trump leaves, that's going to that's gonna leave a mark. And I don't know how we come back from that. And so I don't think it, it, it is trivial. The attacks on democratic norms that we had taken for granted, um, the, the embrace of moral relativism on the part of conservatives, where if the other side does it, we can do it. Well, that's going to leave a poison. For 20 years from now, we're going to be paying the price for that. So uh, I don't think that's trivial at all, and I think the damage is going to be uh, profound. I also think, just leaving aside politics, how difficult it must be to raise children in the era of Donald Trump, particularly young men, and say to a young man, you know, to, a, to, a, to a child, these are the values that, uh, that will get you ahead. You, you, you need to not uh, call people's names. You need to be a good sport. You need to tell the truth. And, and yet they turn on the television, and what do they see? They see Donald Trump, the most powerful man in the world, married to a supermodel, and he's a billionaire. And so you have to wonder, you know, with Donald Trump as a role model, leaving aside all the political issues, the impact it has on just future generations figuring out who do I want to be, what is the model of being a man?
1: And so to our focus groups. Most of those who had voted for President Trump a year ago said they thought he was doing a good job, or at least trying to. If they were frustrated by the pace of change, they didn't usually hold the president responsible.
4: I think he's doing good. I think he's what we needed to shake things up in this country. It's been so just blah for so many years. Hmm. There's no real changes, no real nothing <clears> going <throat> on, you know. stock market's liking it. Yep.
5: Yep. So yeah say He's doing well for my 401k. <laughs>
4: rebuking a lot of Obama's foolishness. Regulations, Regulations, he's cut. I think he pulled back the EPA a lot.
5: But he's also working on that wall. He's getting tough with North Korea and China. Mm-hmm. He stepped away from that horrible, horrible environmental policy with the UN.
6: You pretty much just saying, if y'all don't want to bring y'all jobs back over here and, and give these American workers work, I'm going to tax y'all. Y'all going to get the biggest, you know what I mean? We're going to tax y'all, period. You know what I mean? And I feel like he's doing, he's doing what he said he's going to do as
1: far as Dennis. I'm in outside sales, and there is not one customer of mine since Trump got elected that is not looking for people. And not just not just production people, they're looking
3: for management, they're looking for vice presidents, they're looking for planners, and I never heard that my previous eight years. I think he's doing a good job, uh, he has his faults, he is a loose cannon, but we knew that when we voted for him. He hasn't changed. I feel that um, Mr. Trump really hasn't
4: been given a chance to do his job. Mm -hmm. I think both sides, the Democrats and Republicans, are kind of getting on his back, and I've got my own theories as to why they're doing that. If I was a highfalutin Republican congressperson or senator, I wouldn't want to have to rebuild everything that, you know, we all work together to build, you know, behind the scenes, because this guy wants to tear it all apart,
5: they don't let anything go through. They just want to stop it, just because he's the one that's trying to put it into place.
4: The, the establishment, it, they
3: just rub him, or he rubs them the wrong way. So he, they're just going to be like, "Well, we're not doing anything." Eight years, they said they were going to, mm. going to, you know, get Obamacare overturned, and <laughs> then when it comes, to when it, when the rubber hits the road. And you gotta lay a vote out there that you know that it's gonna get passed. Then they, they, then they wobble.
5: They're never gonna allow him to focus on any sort of an agenda whatsoever, from draining the swamp to figuring out healthcare to there is gonna be a roadblock at every intersection of anything that he tries to accomplish. In, and I truly, truly believe he's gonna be there for eight years. That's really good.
1: For those who didn't much like Donald Trump, his Twitter forays summed up everything that was wrong with his presidency. His back has defended his decision to communicate directly with people and cut out what they saw as the biased media, but even they often wished he would calm down a bit.
0: I think his opinions
1: on Twitter are, I mean, a statement of how he is, and mm-hmm. um, he puts it out there, he's not afraid to. Trump's, I mean, he's there for the people and puts it out there.
6: But if he didn't vent on his... The Twitter, then he wouldn't get out his views because the media is not giving him a 50-50 chance That's to true. talk. So if he doesn't do Twitter, then nobody knows what he's thinking.
5: But so Why do you have to hold him to a different standard than you do any other celebrity? Look at how many celebrities go out there and Twitter 25 times a day and they say stupid crap all the time. It's like, big deal. You react, you react. But they're not in charge of your armed forces. So just because you say something on Twitter doesn't mean that that's what you're going to do to push the red button to blow up the planet. It's like he's supposed to be our leader and he's belittling people and calling them names. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, even if my kids did that, I would be ashamed.
3: Anytime he feels like he's being attacked or something else, he's got to hit back.
4: Oh yeah. He can't
3: help himself.
4: Yeah. Which is
3: an awesome personality to have if you're, you know, a quarterback of a football team or, you know, a boxer.
6: The whole Democratic Party is, and media, I include them in the Democratic Party, they're still throwing their
2: tantrums, but he's almost like the other 12-year-old in the playground. There's there's, there's less class. I mean, I don't, you know, just arguing about what somebody said on Twitter, or cringing just knowing that if I open up Twitter, there's going to be something that's just like, dude, come on, like, worry about what's going on somewhere else, or worry about something in the office, not what somebody said to you, or if if somebody made fun of you. He has no filter. There's no filter. (laughs) Whatever he's thinking is immediately on the internet. if, If he would take like five seconds and be like, should I post this? I feel like maybe he wouldn't get himself in so much trouble.
5: Why is that such a problem? That he doesn't have a filter? Yeah. Because he's representing 300 million Americans?
1: For all groups of African American and Hispanic voters in particular, some of the things the president said had real consequences closer to home.
6: I think he's dangerous, uh, and I think he's made the world more dangerous. I think uh, similar to other people, he's given people permission uh, to behave in ways that is dangerous to other people. I mean, hate crimes are up because of the... He's given, yeah, because of of his rhetoric, because he's given Mm -hmm. people permission.
4: Like where I work, I, I can tell now from maybe a year ago, the way people interact with me and they look at me different and though I had a guest call me a boy and that's, I've been working at my hotel for seven years. Even my my um, director, he said, oh, um, can you tell that black boy to, um, I'm not even black, so, you know.
6: Where people would make a joke behind the door you know, close the blinds, you know, amongst their people where, you know, they didn't take it outside. Now it's like I can say whatever I want to say, when I want to say, how I want to say it, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in the street, and you better accept it or else we have a problem. I just feel like since Trump been the president, I just feel like, like 2015, 16, 17, whatever, I just feel like we're back in the 50s and the 60s. I just feel like we, we, we kind of started over. I think he stirs the pot, and once he stirs the pot and it's like boiling over, he's like, oh, well. On to the next thing. How about that NFL <laughs> taking a knee? <laughs>
5: Calling him a racist, like some of his like top
6: best pals are like, it, it sounds corny, but are black before he became president. So like we're screaming he's a racist, but like it's a show.
5: It's a, it's the Donald Trump show. You know, just just watch it. And it's,
6: it's
4: about building my story. Mm -hmm.
6: Smart guy. I mean, he is a smart man. I hate it when people say Donald Trump's stupid or he doesn't know what he's doing. This is very
4: calculated. It just looks
1: stupid. In the week that the first indictments were handed down in Robert Mueller's Russia investigation, responses were clearly divided on partisan
3: lines. The Senate in the House didn't find anything for a year, nothing. Otherwise, we'd have heard about it. They're just digging. They're just digging for something. It's just a witch hunt. It's a witch hunt. It's a witch, well, it's a witch hunt. Well, they're
2: also now, now they're asking for tax returns with from a these guys. A name. What yeah. the hell
6: has that got to do with anything? But that's what's going to happen is they did an indictment. Mm. If they can't get them on what they indicted them for, they'll... Get
2: they'll him. Get him for something. It's circumstantial. They really don't have anything on them about being in communication with the Russians or having anything to do with the election. We try to influence other countries' elections. They try to influence our elections by feeding all this stuff. So it's been going on for 30 years. But
6: this year, we're going to focus on it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
5: To be honest,
1: any time I see Russia come up, I just change the channel.
0: Which is the channel that you get your news from, mainly? Fo- I watch Fox. Fox, Fox. usually.
4: I stay away from the the old networks, NBC, ABC. I I probably watch the Fox. Yeah, I'd watch Fox. I, Fox. Yeah, Fox so is the only one that
5: doesn't bash them all the
6: time. But do you think the Trump campaign did collude with Russia?
5: Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yes. One hundred percent. Yeah, I think that they were involved. But I mean, if I was Donald Trump running for president, I would be like, mm, I don't want to know about it.
2: This will be his unraveling. He's he has, there is so much I think going on. And for them to already five months in to have indictments, this in, in the indictments it doesn't show anything connected yet to Trump, but it's going back to the money. And for to me, this is just the very very beginning of what will what will end up being his his unraveling. Do you think he did collude with Russia? Hey, yeah. yeah. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Something went on. I don't know exactly what
5: it was, but something happened. And if they can prove that, what
6: will will happen? Nothing.
1: One area that Donald Trump's supporters worried about before the election last year was how he would handle international diplomacy. We asked how he was doing on one particularly fraught issue.
6: North Korea. How's that gone? I'd say pretty well. He's not has it's settled down for like a month now um, I personally think we might want to send the Navy SEALs over.
5: One thing I do wish is that he was a little bit firmer in dealing with them because you can sanction somebody to death but the sanctions the guy just laughs at him every time he sanctions them He's like oh, I'll just take away from my own people to live my lavish lifestyle I don't care about all these sanctions that you're doing.
6: So when you say more firm what should he be doing? Just take
0: them out.
5: I don't yes. know why we're... And I don't know what the answer again is. I mean, do you just go out and make a parking lot out of the country? Do you wait for them to strike and possibly wreak havoc on the United States, or do you take them out first?
6: This guy, the, the North, whose name I'm not going to remember. Kim drum, I mean, he is... He's he he more is retired than his so so he, is, he is more <laughs> dangerous than Donald Trump, if, you, if that's a possibility. So, and so his... And if, like, uh, you know, with Rex Tillerson trying to, you know, to negotiate or do something peaceful, and Trump uh, intervening at every moment with his tweets and with his with his nonsense. I mean, that is, I mean, we're not, that is an extremely serious issue.
4: I feel like even with the dictator in North Korea, I think it's like at a flip of a coin, either it's going to be world, the, the next world war, or, or you know, I'm like, like, you know, if he starts saying something, the other guy is, is crazy, That's him. so it's two crazy people going back and forth.
1: People who had not voted for President Trump were often very gloomy about how things were going. Asked to name one good thing, they often said they thought people had started paying more attention to politics and, particularly, to the importance of getting out to vote. Disastrous,
6: monstrous, chaotic. I think Trump is an embarrassment to the country. Uh, I think. He, you know he's unethical in every possible way. Of course, he has always he always has been, uh, and I, I think that he's done a lot of stuff. I think Trump has done a ton of things, protections or regulations that he's rolled back. Um, I mean, there's there, every day there are things getting passed, and then all this mockery and all this. Uh, uh, clownery is a distraction from all the stuff that is happening.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like the, the biggest part of his campaign is to undo everything um, spearheaded and um, accomplished under the Obama era that had Obama's name on it. Uh, especially, you know, the, healthcare, uh, the Affordable Health Care Act. Mm-hmm.
6: It seems to me like he's okay with not governing. Like he's okay with get on the phone, start some crap with somebody, And then that way, you don't have to govern. I'm Puerto Rican, and my family's from Puerto Rico. And I saw that interview that he did throwing the towel as a football. That was degrading. If I would have been there, that's just not right. His remark was, oh, Puerto Rico just put me in debt. You know, oh my God, just, I couldn't believe he said that. You know, a a lot of our presidents that we've previously had,
4: it seemed like they were into all the American people, or the people that were living in this country. But it seemed like we have a president now that he really he really don't like the people.
2: I know for me, every every president that's one that I didn't vote for, I, you, you get right behind them. Just, you know, we have to support a president, mm-hmm. whether you vote for them or not. This is very different because... It's not political, it's become moral. You get behind them because, you know, they're you know that they're trying to do the right thing and that they're, you know, gen- genuine. Mm. Um, but this is, nothing he says seems genuine. I
6: think it is causing people to wake up. I think it's causing people to be present. I think it's causing people to be involved and have to be right. active and pay attention in a way that we haven't before. And I
2: think he's gotten people more, paying more attention to what's going on in politics okay. and in the country and really maybe... All those who didn't vote in the last election thinking that, oh my God, maybe I should have done something, (laughs) you know?
1: But when it came to opposing the president and putting forward an alternative agenda, nobody currently felt very inspired by the Democrats.
5: I think it's just stagnant. I think they need fresh faces. I think they need more energy to excite more people again. Um, Just like when Obama came around, they riled everyone up, and even some Republicans voted Democrat because they wanted a better change. And so I think they need fresh faces and someone new to lead.
2: They're not giving you any information to work with. Okay. They're not giving you any options.
5: I feel like all they do is criticize Trump at this point, but you're not hearing them kind of counter what he's arguing for Mm -hmm. or trying to pass. So I don't really think they have much time to come up You know, it'll take somebody really almost as drastic as Trump is to come out of the woodworks with Mm. new ideas and ways to change at this point. What policies do you want to see from the Democrats?
3: Universal health care, the closing of tax loopholes for, you know, millionaires to Mm -hmm. avoid paying back into the country and, you know, putting back into infrastructure.
5: The the difference between our health care system or whatever you want to call it that we have and where you're from is... Yours is totally awesome, and ours
6: sucks.
3: I think that um, the huge response, uh, the huge positive response, Bernie Sanders got as a you know nominee for the Democratic uh, presidential nomination showed that people are, by and large, or at least enough of the Democratic Party, are looking for that change and that uh, move forward. I
5: think that every all, the emotions in the whole country are so escalated at mm-hmm. this point. It's going to have to be someone who can emotionally reach people, no matter how they voted.
2: Kevin, a week of focus groups with voters in Wisconsin and Las Vegas really only confirms one big picture idea for me, just that everyone is convinced that Donald Trump is shaking things up and what the... What the result of the shaking things up, whether it's good or bad, is going to completely depend on if you're a Trump supporter or not. If you're a Trump supporter, you love it and you think it was long overdue and you think that he's giving a great jolt to the system. If you're a Trump detractor, you're worried about the chaos that he's unleashing in the country.
1: I think it was also notable that no one was very surprised by what they've seen in the first year. They had Donald Trump the candidate and they've got Donald Trump the president and they're the same person and they weren't really expecting anything different, whether they're delighted or horrified by what they've seen, they haven't been surprised by it. I think it was notable that the people who voted for him were by and large pretty pleased with how he's doing or at least what he's trying to do. If they think not as much progress is being made as they'd hoped, crucially they don't blame him for that, they blame by and large Congress and in particular Republicans in Congress.
2: And the media gets the blame for even reporting on incendiary tweets or incendiary comments from Donald Trump. His supporters see the constant attacks, the you know reporting on factual things that Donald Trump has said, they see it as an attack. They see it as focusing on the wrong issues to the detriment of Donald Trump being able to get anything done. So what they see as a constant barrage of criticism of this president reinforces that he's under attack and that that is what is keeping him from making America great again.
1: And a good example of that that we've seen this week, in fact, has been the Russia investigation. If you don't like Trump, you probably think that he's definitely got a case to answer, that he's banged to rights on this, that they're going to get him in the end. Um, But if you're a Trump person, if you voted for him, you probably think, That's actually an end in itself. It's a witch hunt. They're out to get him. They haven't really found anything that connects him to Russia at all yet, but they're going to keep digging until they find
2: something. One point of rare agreement is that most of the Americans we spoke to this week think that the economy is doing pretty well. And again, just like the Russia investigation is divided along partisan lines. If you are a Democrat, you think that Obama set up the preconditions to make the economy thrive this year and that Trump has done nothing to help it. If you are a Trump supporter, you think that Donald Trump has unleashed incredible growth and prosperity. So again, you see how the issues are being completely drawn along partisan lines.
1: One thing I think that was notable from people who don't like the president and want to see the back of him is they don't think they're hearing much in the way of opposition from the Democrats, or crucially, alternative ideas, or even more crucially than that, alternative leaders. They think the current leadership is looking tired. They've been around for years. They know that they're going to have to have quite an inspirational candidate to go up against Trump. But nobody seems to have any idea who that's going to be.
2: All in all, I think that President Donald Trump should be pretty pleased by what we heard on the road this week. I think that he probably personally wouldn't like some of the criticism by his own supporters for his use of Twitter and some of the confusion surrounding the early days of his administration. But if you're a White House communications staffer, you would be overjoyed that given all the unforced errors and the chaos of this administration's early days, Overall, his supporters could not be happier with him personally, and they blame any shortcomings on the media and on Democrats and on Republicans who haven't sufficiently supported Donald Trump.
1: John Ralston has been covering politics in Nevada for 30 years and is widely recognized as the state's top political analyst. Earlier this year, he launched the Nevada Independent, a non-profit news site covering Nevada politics, business and government. Lord
0: Ashcroft sat down with him in Las Vegas. Well, thanks, John. Our British listeners in particular will think of Las Vegas as a giant holiday destination, a place for gambling entertainment. Can you explain why the city and the state of Nevada are coming to matter more in U.S. elections and why it's such an interesting place politically?
4: Well, it's an interesting place uh, politically because despite the cliches about Las Vegas and, and, and Sin City, and Nevada's kind of a quirky state. There's legalized prostitution in some of the counties. It's, we're just considered kind of an alien world. We're in many ways, we're a microcosm of America, especially in Las Vegas, where the demographics have changed, where it's a burgeoning city now with a, with a large Hispanic population. The Hispanic vote has become very important uh, in American elections, and we've become important uh, in national American elections because for two reasons. First, we got moved up in the primary process uh, to become an early deciding state, and so we, so the candidates pay a lot more attention to us. And we've become a decidedly purple state uh, in November of presidential years, so we are considered a state that is not a given, like in Oklahoma, is given uh, uh, red or New York is given blue. We're a decidedly purple state you have to compete for.
0: Well, President Obama won Nevada easily in both his election victories, but Hillary Clinton carried the state uh, by, if I recall, just by two points last year. And does that reflect a more divided Nevada electorate, or do you see the Democrats continuing to have the edge here in presidential elections? Well, it's
4: an interesting phenomenon in the sense that the registration here favors the Democrats by about 5 percent or so. And Obama, as you point out, did win fairly decisively, one time even more decisively than the other. Uh, What happened, I think, in in 2016, though, was the Democrats, again, have a machine where they register voters and can turn out voters better than the Republicans. And and we have early voting here in Nevada, two weeks before the election. The Democratic machine turns out all kinds of voters, uh, is able to bank votes. They did that, but what happened in 2016 is the, the the Trump wave essentially hit Nevada on election day, and that's why Clinton's uh, margin was, was smaller than Obama's.
0: Recent national polls have put President uh, Trump's approval rating well below 40%. Do you think his support remains strong with the Republicans here in Nevada?
4: I think his numbers are robust among the Republicans, but I think his numbers here are reflective of what's going on in most other swing states they're not good another thing people don't understand about Nevada its essentially three different states You have the two urban areas around Las Vegas and Reno, and then you have the 15 counties in between. There's a rural uh, uh, bastion of republicanism where Trump won by a huge landslide, where most republican candidates win uh, by by a huge landslide. Out in rural Nevada, Trump is very, very popular. Uh, In the urban areas, not as much.
0: Moving on to another subject in Nevada, it's a state with few restrictions on guns and voters who are known to strongly support the Second Amendment. Has the tragic shooting last month in uh, Las Vegas impacted the debate on gun control in the state?
4: It's interesting because it dovetails. Uh, The tragedy occurred several months after uh, Nevadans actually passed with something, something nobody thought would pass here, which is a background check. Uh, initiative which as going back to my previous statement got destroyed in rural nevada but won by enough in clark county where las vegas is that it offset the losses uh, elsewhere it has yet to be enforced that background check initiative because the very conservative attorney general who is now running for governor and is a big trump supporter has refused to uh uh, enforce it and he has actually come out with a statement saying that uh that that nothing would have been changed if that background check had been enforced because Stephen Paddock supposedly got his guns legally.
0: Next year's uh, midterm elections here do look particularly intriguing, uh, with Senator Heller facing a primary challenge backed by the president's former strategist, Steve Bannon. How do you see that playing out?
4: Well, I think Dean Heller's people are worried about Danny Tarkanian because Tarkanian has essentially been with Trump from the beginning and he is playing... Heller is not as steadfast in his support of Trump. The elections here in the primary for Nevada occur in June, so the turnout's very, very low, 20 30%. Those who vote are Trump voters, and so Tarkanian, as Heller's people would tell you if they were hooked up uh, to a polygraph, has a chance to beat him, and they're worried about him. Danny Tarkanian's run several times before. He's never won a general election, but he's won three primaries because he does appeal to the hardcore base.
0: And finally, John, in the run-up to the 2016 election, there was much speculation over if a Trump effect would drive increased Latino turnout. And though Clinton did win among Latino voters, she had less support than Obama four years earlier. How do you think Hispanic voters are reacting to the Trump presidency, and how much of a force do you think they'll be in the midterms next year?
4: They'll certainly be a force, uh, whether it'll be about a fifth of the electorate or a little less, they, they will be a force. Smaller in an off-year election than, than, than in a presidential election. It's always difficult to generalize about any block of voters, whether it's an ethnic block or an age block, uh, and there are different cohorts among Hispanic voters. But generally, they are still very anti-Trump uh, here. They're worried about uh, his decision to uh, uh, perhaps end DACA Uh, although that's still, as we talk, up in the air. Uh, And so the Democrats are hoping to harness uh, the the Hispanic voters. Four years ago, the last off-year election, there was a dramatic decrease in turnout among Hispanic voters. Democrats got swept across the board here in Nevada. They're very much trying to find strategy so that doesn't happen again.
1: And that's it for this special edition of the Ashcroft in America podcast. Tweet us with your comments, questions, and thoughts using the hashtag Ashcroft in America, and you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.
2: Lord Ashcroft's book on the 2017 UK election, The Lost Majority, is available from Amazon or direct from bitebackpublishing.com, and I, for one, highly recommend it.
1: All our research is published at LordashcroftPolls.com, and you can keep up to date on our Facebook page. Thanks for listening to Ashcroft in America, and we'll see you next time.